Well, today we are going to wrap up a word, a series that we started three weeks ago entitled One Word. And we've been talking over the last three weeks really about the significance of how that one word from God can change your life, how that one word from God can change your life, and that we would, when we begin to create an atmosphere in our lives to hear from God, how that God begins to speak. And so this morning, we're going to kind of pull together some loose ends, connect some dots, and hopefully see how we can create a practical way in our life every day to begin to hear from the Lord and really know what God has for our lives. And how many of you understand that uh, in the midst of our crazy world, we need a consistent voice from heaven. We need to consistently hear from God. I don't need a word every month, every six months, or once a year. I need a word from God on a daily basis. I need to hear from heaven consistently because my life, like your life, is full of not only challenges, but it's also full of opportunities where I want to make sure that I'm running after the thing that God's called me to run after. And so I need to hear from heaven. I heard a story uh, of, a, uh, of a local church, and they were looking for a new pastor. And they finally uh, found a pastor over another, another county, and they went and listened to him uh, speak. And they'd interviewed him, was real excited uh, about his life and his ministry. And so they, uh, they finally went back to him, and they said, Sir, we want to offer you the position uh, to be our new pastor. And uh, he said, well, that's wonderful. He said, would you care if I pray about it? And they said, that's fine. They said, how much time do you need to pray? And he said, well, I'd really like about six months before I give you an answer. And so the next week, he got a call back from that church. And they said, well, we just want to let you know we are withdrawing our offer for you to be our pastor. And he said, well, what happened? He said, last week you called me. You wanted me to come. And uh, they said, well, yeah. They said, but you said you wanted to pray about it. He said, well, what's wrong with that? They said, well, you wanted to pray about it for six months. They said, we don't want our pastor to be six months behind what the Holy Spirit's saying. How many know you need to be in tune with what God's saying, right? You don't need six months in order to hear what God has to say. We need to be in such a relationship with the Lord that we're hearing from God on a regular occasion. Now, let me just be real honest with you. Um, I believe that God speaks every day, and I believe that God speaks many times in our lives throughout the day when we listen to him. But I can guarantee you, at least in my life, that every word from God is not, it's not an open heaven, it's not an angelic visitation, it's not, it's not the heavenly choir singing hallelujah, you know. I mean, sometimes you have those moments, right? Sometimes God speaks, the heavens open, and you know without a shout of a doubt that is God. But I also know that many times in my life, I don't get that, but what I do get is I get an impression from the Lord. I get, a, I get a scripture that I'm reading in my quiet time that the Holy Spirit illuminates. And I may not understand really what it's meaning or what it's saying, but I know that God's speaking to me. And I need to write that verse down. And I need to pray over that verse. And I need to come back and look over that verse because there's something there that God is wanting to say in my life. And I have found out that if I am consistent in creating a place of intimacy with God, God is faithful to speak to me on a daily basis, and every day it is exciting to know that we can hear from God and that God can lead us and prompt us, and again, most of the time it's not those big heavenly visitations, most of the time it's the small impressions and the promptings of the Holy Spirit or the quickening of a word that I'm reading in my quiet time that God really uses to speak powerfully into my life and to begin to bring direction, instruction, and correction so that I can move in to what God has for me. Our foundational scripture is found in the book of Psalms, Psalms 119. 
We're going to look at this together. The Bible says, therefore, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And I opened my mouth, the Psalms have said, and panted, for I long for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts and make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Our first point on your outline, which has been our consistent theme, and that is that literally one word from God changes everything. When you think about your life, when you have a need, God gives you a word. When you have a problem, God gives you a word. When you have a challenge, God gives you a word. When you need a miracle, God gives you a word. I was thinking about Elijah this morning and the woman who had lost her husband. She was a widow. Her husband was a prophet. He was a man of God. But when he died, they were in great debt. And the Bible says they were in such debt that the, debtor, the, the creditors were coming and they were going to take her children away because of the enormity of their debt. And so she comes to Elijah, the man of God, and she says, what am I going to do? And Elijah asks her a question. He says, what do you have? And I love that because that's really where God always starts. God always starts in our lives with what we have. God is never asking you to give or live or be or do anything that is not 100% capable in your life to be done. And so God asked her, what do you have? And she said, all I have is a little, a little flask of oil. And he said, well, that's wonderful. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go to all your neighbors and borrow all the empty jars you can borrow. And then I want you to go into your house, shut the door, you and your sons, and take your one flask of oil and begin to fill up all those empty jars. Man, that's a word, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm sure she was thinking, well, Elijah, I don't know if you took math class, but this don't actually compute, Right? One flask of oil, 16 ounces won't fill up, 24 gallons of oil, this is not going to work. But I want you to understand something. As we learn to listen to the voice of God, as we learn to hear what God is saying, there is a critical ingredient that makes it all work. And that critical, immediate, that critical ingredient is your obedience to the Word of God. You have to obey by faith. You have to obey by faith, the word that God speaks. Because when God speaks to you, God never asks you to do something, give something, live something that you're not 100% capable of doing. But what it is not going to make sense. But in your mind, as it may seem, that it really doesn't make sense. God, this is not going to work. This is not going to make sense. But how many of you know, even though God was going to do something that was greater than the widow could imagine, what he asked her to do was 100% capable for her to do. She was totally capable of borrowing empty jars and pouring oil. That was nothing she couldn't do. What she couldn't do was make a miracle. What she couldn't do was multiply the oil. And that's where her faith and her obedience came in. So when you begin to learn how to listen to the Lord and you begin to cultivate a time of intimacy with God where you're hearing from God on a regular basis, the ingredient to seeing the power of God demonstrated in your life is not found in just receiving the word. You can receive a million words from God and if you don't ever obey what he says, you'll never see the fruit of it. You'll never see the fruit of what God wants to do in your life. Why? Because it requires faith-filled obedience in order to release the power of the word that God has spoken to you. Many times God will speak to us. He'll say, I want to bless you. And we're like, okay, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. And God says, I want you to do this. And we're like, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. And he says, I want you to do this. And we're like, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. And God says, I will once you do this. 
It is your obedience that unlocks the blessing. It is your obedience that releases the power of the Word of God. And so my prayer for you and for my own heart is that when God speaks, that I obey. And I learned a long time ago that the quicker I can be obedient, the better it is. Kelly has a little saying around our house with our kids, especially when they were younger. It, was, it went simply like this, delayed obedience is disobedience. If I tell you to clean your room and you don't go clean your room, then we don't want you to clean your room 30 minutes later. We don't want you to clean your room an hour later. We don't want you to clean your room next week. We want you to clean your room now. So delayed obedience is disobedience. And many times we live in a disobedient lifestyle because God speaks and we don't act. God speaks and we don't obey. How many know that after God speaks, you don't need to pray about it anymore? Once you know it's God. Now, you need to pray till you know it's God. But once you know it's God, there's no, no longer a need to pray about what you need to do. God's already given your instructions. And many times, we go back to God wanting further instructions when God says, first obey the initial instruction. Right? How I many know that when you even deal with people, right, if, you, if, you, if you're an employer or you're a manager or a supervisor and you have people that work under you, a lot of times you'll ask somebody to do something and they want, well, what do I do after that? Well, go do that first. Right, just, just go do that. When you get done doing that, come back and see me and we'll figure out what we're going to do next. But until you do step one, step two is useless. And so we begin to understand that as we begin to hear from God, it is significant that we recognize our obedience to what God is saying sets the premise for what God's going to say next. It sets the premise for what God is going to say next. So if God tells me to do something and I don't do it, why do I need a second word until I obey the first word? I don't. Until I do step one, I don't need to know what step two is because step two is useless until I step into the first reality of what God has purposed in my life. So I want to encourage us this morning as we continue to cultivate that time of hearing God that we recognize the key to seeing the fruit of God's promise and God's word is our obedience to what he's telling us to do. And as we obey, God begins to continue to speak and give us the next step to what he wants to do in our lives. Amen? All right, so let's look at our scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. And the Lord came and, and called us before Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak for your servant is listening. And then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. So look at our next point. We talked about this last week. We said that God, based on that scripture out of Samuel, and really a consistency through Scripture, God desires to speak to you and me on a personal level. He is literally calling your name. God desires to speak to us on a personal level. He is literally calling our name. He is calling us unto himself so that we will walk with him and talk with him. And we said that once you acknowledge that he desires to speak to you and you, you need to create a place for prayer and the word, and Jesus called it our secret place, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, we're going to look at it together on the screen. Jesus said, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have, shut your door, pray to your Father, look where he's at. God is in the secret place. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place. God is in the secret place waiting on you. God is in that place of intimacy waiting on you. 
God is waiting on you to show up and seek his presence, to bend your ear to hear his voice, to open his word, to see what he says, and to hear what he wants to do in your life. God is in the secret place. And here's a great revelation. If you don't have a secret place, you're probably going to miss God. Oh, you'll see the big stuff, right? How do you know the children of Israel saw more miracles when they came out of Egyptian bondage than probably any other generation that has ever lived. They saw the supernatural power of God. But out of the entire nation, there was one man that stayed true to God in the midst of national rebellion. And that one man was Moses. And when you read the story of Moses, you find out that the Bible says of Moses that he spoke to God face to face like a man speaks to his friends. The children of Israel saw the ten plagues, dove blown in by a mighty wind. They saw God destroy the most powerful army on the planet as he drowned them in the Red Sea. They saw miracle after miracle. They saw, they drunk water that ran out of a rock. But when Moses left them for 40 days and went up on the mountain to be with God, in a little over a month, they rebelled against their God. And they actually made a golden calf and began to bow down and worship it. I'm like, how do you even do that? How do you go from seeing all these miracles and yet 40 days without the man of God speaking directly into your life, how is it that you go to a place of idol worship where you're bowing down worshiping a golden cow? I mean, I'm like, why do you want to worship a cow anyway? How does that happen? Because out of the nation, there was only a handful of people that actually had an intimate relationship with God. And when the nation rebelled, Moses didn't rebel. And when the nation wavered, Moses didn't waver. And when the nation wanted to turn back and run, Moses refused to turn back and run. Why? Because Moses had discovered the power of a secret place. He knew what it meant to be intimate and have a daily conversation with a holy God. We need that, guys. We need that in our lives. We need a secret place. Now let's look at the next point on our outline. I want you to see this. This is where we're going today. So once you've established your secret place, you need a set time and you need a strategic plan. Now, if you've been at Liberty for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about these three things. You've heard me talk about a secret place, a set time, and a strategic plan. And the reason I'm talking about it again, right? I mean, because how many of you realize this is not rocket science? This is not uh, PhD Christianity. This is foundational Christianity, right? Foundational Christianity says that you have to have a daily relationship with God. You have to cultivate what we call a quiet time with Jesus in order to stay on point and on purpose to what God has for your life. So why am I wasting three weeks talking about something we all know we need to do? Here's the reason why. Because we all have a natural tendency to drift. Right? We just naturally... Drift away from the foundational things of the faith. I mean, think about it in your life. How many times, well, let me just say it this way. Maybe today, maybe right now, we are 15 days into a 21-day fast. 
And maybe you're here and you're like, man, you know what, Pastor Keith, I've really took this fast serious. I've been fasting, I've been praying, I've been spending time in the Word every day, and God is really moving, right? Because if you've really committed to doing that, you know what's happening? You're hearing God like you've never heard God. God's speaking to you. Things are happening in your life. And you realize, man, this is amazing. Your heart's burning with a fresh passion and zeal for the Lord. And you know what? You're like, man, this is amazing. This is amazing. Well, I wonder how many times have we been there? And then this is what happened. Here, here is the, here's the danger that happens or the snare of the enemy that comes out of intimacy. See, when you cultivate an intimate relationship with God, this is what will happen. God will begin to, out of intimacy, God will elevate you and promote you to greater levels of influence. God will elevate you. When you begin to spend genuine time with the Lord and you begin to cultivate a quality uh, relationship with God, you know what will happen? God will elevate you and he will enlarge your area of influence. And all of a sudden, out of that, there will, there will, there will come a greater level of blessing. God will bless you. Your prayers will be answered. God will multiply the works that you're doing. And all of a sudden, your level of influence and your level of prosperity will begin to increase. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is, is that when God elevates you because of intimacy and God promotes you because of intimacy, the challenge is not to allow the elevation of influence, the pressure, the prosperity to rob you of the thing that got you there. Because what happens many times is we press into God, God promotes us and elevates us to a new level of influence and prosperity, and all of a sudden we get distracted by our new level of influence and prosperity. And now the demand, right? Because here, here's a thought. When you're at one level, maybe you're influencing 10 people for Christ. You press in to know God, and all of a sudden God raises you up. Now you're influencing 50 people for Christ. Well, guess what happens? Now there is a greater demand upon your time and your energy, right? I mean, think about in the business world. You start out maybe as an entrepreneur and you're building a business and you're seeking God and you're wanting to do business God's way. And you know what happens when you do business God's way? He blesses it. And all of a sudden it prospers and it grows and it enlarges. And now the demand, the demand of this new level of elevation and influence creates a whole new pressure on your life. And now there's a lot of distractions because you used to have 10 people that were pulling at you. Now you have 50 people. Maybe now you have 100 people. You maybe used to be managing $100. Now you're managing $1,000. Maybe, maybe you're managing $100,000. Maybe you're managing millions of dollars. And all of a sudden there is a new level of pressure and a new demand that comes on your life. And what happens many times is we get distracted by that new level of influence and prosperity. And we actually begin to slip away from the thing that got us there, which was intimacy with Jesus. There's a great, have have you ever thought about the demand that must have been on Jesus? I mean, Jesus healed the sick, he raised the dead, he fed 4,000, he fed 5,000, everywhere he, I mean, he never attended a funeral because every time he went to one, the dead guy got up, right? I mean, Jesus would wreck your funeral. I mean, you couldn't even, you couldn't have a good cry when Jesus was around, right? 
And, and imagine the demand. Think about that. The Bible says whenever Jesus went places, the multitudes would throng him. They would press on him. They, would, they just wanted to touch him, the Bible says. I mean, he was, like, he was like the biblical Elvis, you know. I mean, everywhere he went, everybody wanted to touch him, right? He was a modern-day superstar. Except it was elevated to a whole new level. Jesus couldn't go anywhere without somebody wanting something from him. But here's what you read about Jesus. The Bible says this about this, about Jesus. He would withdraw from the crowd. And he would withdraw from the crowd. And he would go into a deserted place. And Jesus had this crazy habit. The Bible says it more than once, that Jesus would pray all night. I like to sleep all night and pray in the morning. But Jesus would pray all night long. You would read that in the Bible, in the Scriptures. Jesus prayed all night, and Jesus prayed all night, and Jesus withdrew from the crowd, and Jesus withdrew from the crowd. Why? Because Jesus knew something. Jesus knew that in order to sustain the new level of influence that he had, he had to stay connected to the source of his influence, which was his relationship with God. He knew that the more, the greater the demand that people put on him, the more important it was that he have intimacy with God. Right? The greater the demand of people, the more required it is that we be intimate with Jesus Christ. And if we ever lose that intimacy, you know what begins to happen? We begin to lose the reins on all this influence because the thing that enabled you to get to that level was not your wit or your skill or your talent. The thing that enabled you to get to your, that level was the blessing of God that he put on the hearts of people that choose to seek him and know him. And when you begin to realize that, all of a sudden you're like, man, I, I, I can't drift away. I've got to have a real plan to stay connected to the source of my strength because you know what? I want greater influence. I want greater influence. I want Liberty Church to change the world. Right? I got a vision of preaching the gospel to the nations of the world. I'm going to Africa in two weeks. Why? Because that's part of what God's called me to do, to go to the nations of the world and preach the gospel. We're doing what we're doing. Why? Because want, I want greater levels of influence, but the Lord has already shown me. Because with the level of influence, you got to go deeper in the secret place. Because when the demand of people increases, the requirement for intimacy with God also increases. You can't sustain it without Him. You can't sustain it without Him. So let's talk about this little simple formula, right? A secret place, a set time, a strategic plan. So let's talk about a set time. Why do we need a set time? Because a set time makes your quiet time a priority. If you don't make an appointment to meet with God, you probably won't. Meet with God. Everything that's important in your life, you actually put on the calendar. You schedule it. You make an appointment, right, to go to the doctor. You make an appointment to, to get your teeth clean. You make an appointment, right, to do the things that really matter. Should we not make an appointment with God? If I were to ask you on that little outline sheet to go out there beside this bullet point and write down what time you meet with God every day, could you do that? Could you write down that set time? Do you actually have an appointment with God that you meet with Him on a regular occasion? Or do you have that mentality that I used to have a long time ago, well, I'll just work it in. 
Right? I'm just going to work it in, God. I'm just going to work you in to my busy, crazy schedule. I'm just going to work it in. I'm going to find time to meet with Jesus. Let me ask you a real pointed question. How's that working for you? I know the answer not well. It's not working. Because the world will very quickly and very easily crowd out Jesus. You will always find something else to do, right? You, you ever start praying or just trying to get still before the Lord, and all of a sudden you'll start thinking about all the things you need to do, right? You're like trying to pray and get along with God, and all of a sudden, oh, I need to call them, and I need to return that email, and I need to do that, and I need to follow up with them. I heard a guy one time, uh, his name was Mike Murdoch, he said that uh, whenever he goes to his prayer time, he always takes a piece of paper and a pencil, and he said every time uh, he starts to get along with God and the devil reminds him of what he needs to do, he just writes it down and says, thank you, devil. He said, for long, the devil don't remind you of anything. He's like, man, this is good. Thank you, devil. I'm going to do that later, but I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to do that later, but I'm going to study right now. I'm going to do that later, but I'm going to spend time with Jesus right now. Right now, why? Because it matters. I need to set time. For me, it's 5.30 in the morning. Sometimes it's 5, sometimes it's 6, but my set time is 5.30. 5.30 morning, that's my set time. That's my appointment to meet with Jesus. I want to meet with him at 5.30 in the morning. Why? Because that's the best time for me. That's when I'm my freshest. That's when I'm ready. I'm alert. I'm ready to hit the day. And my mind is clear. It's not cluttered by all the chaos of all the things i got to deal with. If you're here today and, you, and you, you understand this, no matter how old you are, if you're a young person in high school or you're a young person in college or you're an older person and you're raising grandkids or you're somewhere in the middle, you understand that when you live your life at the end of the day, and, and gave the culture, worked your hours, and you done took care of the stuff, and you done paid the bills, and you cooked the supper, and, and, and gave the kids baths, and did the homework. When the day is over, you're done. You're done. Brother Curtis calls it his 9 o'clock chair. When it's 9 o'clock, he hits the 9 o'clock chair, he's done. Right? Well, you know what? Most of us have a 9 o'clock chair. We have a limit somewhere along the way. And if you try to say, well, you know what? God, when I get in this seat and when everything slows down, when the day stops, when all the hustle and bustle is over, I'm going to spend time with you. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to go to sleep on Jesus. Right? I, I, every night, we, I, me and Kelly, when we lay in the bed, we, I always pray over and pray for our family before we go to sleep. And most of the time, I pray myself to sleep. And... Uh, and she'll give me that little holy elbow, you know. You're praying. And I go, amen. Right? Right. Man, that'll happen to you every time. If you're not careful, if, you're not, if you don't have a set time, if you haven't made an appointment with God, you'll miss it. It just won't happen. And it's tragic because if you ask the average Christian, how important is your relationship with God? All of us would say, oh, it's a 10 out of 10. It's the most important relationship I have. But if you look at our calendars, he's not even on there. Where's that at? And so we got to make sure that if we're going to not only sustain what we have, but if we're going to go to the next level, of influence for the kingdom of God, we're going to have to guard that secret place and we're going to have to make sure we got a set time that says, you know what, I'm going to meet with Jesus. Let me give you a scripture, a great scripture, Daniel, out of the book of Daniel. It's a story of Daniel, Daniel 6.10. It says, when Daniel, uh, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, now the writing here is the king had just passed a law that said anybody that prayed to or bowed to or worshipped any other god but him and his golden image, they were going to be thrown in the lion's den. The Bible says when Daniel heard about this, this law that had been passed, 
He went home, and in his upper room with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as his custom, as was his custom since. So, so I want you to see this. So Daniel had a secret place. He had a place every day he met with God. He would open his windows and face Jerusalem. Why? Because we talked about it last week, that when you set a place apart to meet with God, that place becomes holy. God meets with you in the places you've distinguished to meet with him. And Jerusalem was, was the place where the tabernacle was. It was the place where the Jews met with God. So he would open his windows every day, and he would get on his knees, and he would face Jerusalem. Why? Because that was his secret place. And every day, three times a day, he had a set time that he was going to pray and cry out to God. The Jews still today do that. Three times a day, they're praying. They're crying out to God. They've got a set time. And you know what? They're going to stop whatever they're doing to do what they're going to do, and that is to cry out to the Lord. Why? Because it's important. Now, now this is interesting. I want you to see this. When the of cultivating a daily time with God is this. When trouble comes, when problems come, when difficulties arise, Daniel did not have to wonder, what am I going to do about this new law that's been passed that's now illegal, made illegal my prayers? Daniel didn't have to wonder about what, he, what was he going to do about that. Daniel knew what he was going to do. He was going to pray. He was going to do the thing he had been doing every day. He was going to seek God for instruction. He was going to seek God for direction. He was going to go before the Lord and say, God, here's what's happening. This is what's going on in my world today. God, what do you say? See, it was already there. See, unfortunately, we have a lot of Christians in our world today that the only time they do pray is when they have a problem. Right? When a problem comes, now they start crying out to God, Oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, God, I'm desperate for you. You're so important to me. Now, here's, let me just say some good news about the grace of God. You can go six months and never pray. And you can get in the worst kind of trouble you've ever been in. And you can cry out to God, and you know what God will do? God will hear you. Because he loves you that much. But how many of you know that's not the best way to live your life? How many of you know that's not the best way to live your life? How many of you know that's not what God really intends by having a relationship with him? It's not just pray when you get in trouble. Right, we all have some of those friends in our lives. You ever have some of those friends, the only time you see them was they eat something? Right? And you ain't heard from them in three months or six months or a year. And all of a sudden, their, their phone, their caller ID shows up on your phone. You're like, oh, my goodness. And you're like, yeah, what do you need? <laughs> oh, nothing. Well, $20. Right? I don't need anything but maybe a little money. And you know who they are, right? And none of us in the natural want to be that person. But I wonder how many of us in the spiritual are that person. How many of us in the spiritual are that person that the only time we pray and the only time we open our Bibles and the only time we really press in to know God is when we're really in trouble and bad things are really happening. See, the good news is we don't have to be that way. We can cultivate a daily time with God where we say, you know what, God, knowing you is more important than anything else, and I'm going to have a secret place, and I'm going to have a set time where I cry out to know you. Now, the third thing is a strategic plan. This is really important. Because this was, for many years, I would say even in my life, it was a missing link. Until probably, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, uh, Kelly and I began doing the one-year Bible together. And we were not together, but we began doing it individually, reading the one-year Bible. So let me just give you this thought. So a strategic plan empowers you to get a fresh word from God. Because it gives you a daily reading plan, and you will never miss what you haven't planned to do. 
Why do I need a strategic plan to read the Bible? Because the Bible's important. And if I don't have a plan, I probably won't do it. If I don't have a plan, I probably won't see consistency from God. And what happens is, it is a strategic plan that really empowers you to get a fresh word from God. So think about it like this. We are creatures of habit, right? We are creatures of habit. Most of you come to church every Sunday, sit in the same chair you sit in every Sunday. And if somebody's sitting in your chair when you get here, you look at them like, what's wrong with you? Right? I mean, that's what you do. I promise you. Look at Somebody sits in my chair. I'm like, don't you know that's my chair? What's up with you? You know what we ought to do when somebody's sitting in your chair? You ought to go up and introduce yourself to them because you probably don't know them. Let them know how glad you really are to have them in the house of the Lord. Then go find you another seat. Amen. But we're creatures of habit. Well, you know what? That same habit works in our Bible reading. If you're not careful, if you don't have a strategic plan to read Scripture, you know what will happen? You'll just read the same old stuff over and over again. Right? You'll just open your Bible, and that thing you've done highlighted 25 years ago will still be there, and you'll read it again like, man, that was good 25 years ago. Right? That was good last month. And you're like, well, you know, Lord, the Bible, I've been reading the Bible. It really doesn't speak to me. Well, you've been reading the same thing over and over again. You ain't read a new Scripture in the last six months. Because you keep going to your, your old favorites, right? You just keep going to that place, that thing you've always highlighted, that thing you've always read. And I really like the Proverbs, or I really like the Psalms, or I really like the Gospels. And that's why I just read it over and over again. Let me just encourage you in this. Get a Bible reading plan that stretches you outside of your comfort zone. How many of you believe the whole Bible is probably, actually all of it, pretty important? Kind of makes sense to me, right? God thought it fit to put it in here. It's probably all important from Genesis to Revelations. So, so I want to encourage you to this. Get a strategic plan. Get a plan. We, we, live in, we live in a great technological world, right? You can go to the YouVersion Bible app, and you can look on there. There are thousands of Bible reading plans. They'll tell you what to read every day and just help you read through scriptures every day on a consistent basis. You need that. Why? Because if you don't plan for it, you'll never miss it. If you ever plan to take a day off work and then something, something happened and you had to go into work and the whole day you're in there, you know what you're doing? Like, man, I was supposed to be off today. I can't believe I had to work today. I was supposed to be off today. You ever planned a vacation and had to cancel it? That's horrible, ain't it? Right? And whatever you're having to do instead of going on vacation, that whole week you're like, man, I was supposed to be at the beach this week. I can't believe I'm at work. And you miss it. You miss that day off. You miss that vacation. You miss whatever it is you planned to do. Right now we're fasting, so you're actually thinking about how you're going to break the fast and the food you're going to eat on the 22nd at 6 p.m. on Sunday night. And what if I come in here next Sunday and say, hey, the Lord said we all got to go one more day. You would be so upset. You'd be like, Pastor Keith, I don't care what God said to you. I'm eating my pizza tonight. That's what I'm thinking about is pizza, you know. Because when you have something planned and you don't get to do it, you know what happens? You miss it. If you don't have a plan to read the Bible, then the day goes by and you're like, oh, I should have read my Bible today. Pass that thought on. But if you knew I was supposed to read Proverbs chapter 3 and that plan of action, Proverbs 3 today, I'm going to miss it because I actually plan to do it. I had a plan of action and that plan of action helps remind me there's something I need to do today that is intended to bring life to me. Let me, let me give you one last thought on this, and we're going to wrap this thing up. And that is simply this. Why do we need to read the Bible? We've talked about this a little, and we've talked about it actually a lot, but why do we need to read the Bible? Let me tell you why. Because Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, it's on the, on the screen. Jesus is being tempted by the devil in, in the wilderness. And Satan tempts him. This is what Jesus said. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. 
And he says this, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How many know God has spoken? And how many know God is speaking? Right? God has spoken and God is speaking. Right? God has spoken through the Bible. They've written it, we've written his words down. And we put it on paper so we can read what God has said. But God not only has spoken, God is speaking. And it is that preceding word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you get faith when God speaks and you hear God? If you've ever heard God speak, it stirred faith up on the inside of you. And you're like, yeah, we can do this. Why? Because God spoke. So let me just say this to you. Why do we need to read the Bible? Because the more you know the written word, what God has said, the more clearly you can discern what God is saying. The more you know the written word, the more clearly you can discern the spoken word. Have you ever heard something from the Lord or you thought it was from the Lord and you're like, well, is this really God or is this me? Or is this the devil, right? There's always like three options at least, right? Is this God, is this me, or is this the devil? And you're like, how do I know, God, is this really you? Let me tell you how you know. You know the written word. When you know the written word, you can discern the spoken word. Why? Because God hadn't changed. God's not going to say something in the Bible and contradict it to you by an impression in your heart from the Holy Spirit. The written word gives clarity to the spoken word. And the more, God, this is what I need to do. written word, the more easier it is for me to discern the spoken word of God and know, hey, this is God, this is what I need to do. This is God, this is where I need to go. This is God, this is a step I need to take. And let me give you our last thought, last point on the screen. Just a little simple challenge, right? Let me just wrap it up. So a secret place, a set time, a strategic plan are not religious rituals. They're holy habits. We need holy habits. Religious rituals bind you. Holy habits empower you. We're not talking about creating a religious ritual. Let me just go ahead and tell you this. If you start a Bible reading plan and you miss a day, don't beat yourself up. Don't condemn yourself. Don't get mad at yourself. Don't say, oh, I can't ever do anything right. I'm never going to get make this work. Just go on. Just go on. Just start the next day. Just start where you're supposed to start. Don't try to pick up and read, read what you were supposed to read yesterday. Just move on to the next day because let me tell you this. God is not in heaven mad at you because you're not reading your Bible. But God is in heaven very excited about the idea that you're thinking about reading your Bible. He's not mad because you're not reading, but he's very excited about the fact that you would want to read the Bible because he knows the more you read the Bible, the more you're going to discern and hear his voice. And the more intimate your relationship with him is going to be. And that's what God desires. An intimate relationship with him. Let me give you just an interesting statistic. Do you realize that if you will read your Bible for 12 minutes a day, everybody say 12. 12 minutes. That's about how long I'm going to be over today. That's a good lead into that, wasn't it? I got nine more minutes, by the way. Uh, if you'd read the Bible for 12 minutes a day, think about this, 12 minutes a day in one year, you would read the entire Bible. 12 minutes. 12 minutes a day, and in one year, you would have read the entire Bible. 
Now, the goal is not, whoo, I read my Bible. The goal is that I, whoo, I spent time every day with Jesus. That's the goal. The benefit of reading the Bible is the more I read the Bible, the more I hear what God is saying. The more I know His written word, the more I hear His preceding word, and the more I'm able to discern and do what God wants me to do. So the goal is not, whoo, I read my Bible, marked it off my list. No, the goal is I spent time with Jesus today in the written word so I could more clearly hear the spoken word of God. 12 minutes a day. If you read your Bible for 37 minutes a day, in one month you could read the entire New Testament in 37 minutes. One more statistic, we're going to close. If you're the average American and you watch three hours of TV a day, that means you watch 60 minutes of commercials every day. 60 minutes. If you watch the Alabama championship game where I don't know what happened, but anyway, it wasn't good, right? Emory, you were there. I was cheering for you. It didn't work. You watched enough commercials in that time to set a holy habit of spending time every day in the Word of God and growing to know Jesus, the one who died to set you free. So here's my last thought, right here it is on the screen. These three things, secret place, set time, strategic plan, create a diving board that launches me and you into the presence of God. So here's the last thought, why don't we just dive in? Let's just say 2017 is gonna be a year we're just gonna dive into the presence of God. We're gonna dive into knowing Him, we're gonna dive into serving Him. And we're going to do it really simple. We're just going to have a secret place, a set time, a strategic plan. And we're going to consistently begin to spend time with Jesus so we can hear the word from God. Why? Because one word from God changes everything.